The dead won't bother you. It's the living you gotta worry about. Some, if I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Welcome to the very first episode of the Bad Taste Crime Cast. I am your host, well, co-host, Vicki Walters. <laughs> I am Janelle. And we are very excited to be talking with you, about you, to you, at you. Yes, mostly at you. <laughs> um, on this episode today, we are going to be talking about horror movies, which is... I don't know about you, one of my all-time favorite things. Yes. Not only horror movies. What else? I mean, what else are we going to be talking about I today? I mean, just like plain old-fashioned murder. <laughs> I actually, I was really <laughs> excited when we decided to to do this because it's like so many things oh, yeah. that are in my wheelhouse because we're going to be talking about horror movies and murder. We're going to be talking about a cult. Mm-hmm. Not a cult, but a cult. Like <laughs> one cult. A um, and cult. Yeah, a, a and a cult. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess we'll just jump right into it. Yeah. Would you like to go first? Oh, sure. All right. Okay. So um, one of my all-time favorite horror movies is The Town That Dreaded Sundown. And if you've ever seen it, it's the first one. Not the fucking second one. <laughs> the second one is garbage. It's like, it's just all sex. I can't and remember you. No story. Bringing this movie up to me a couple months ago, and I went looking for it, and... Did you find the new one? I think I might have. They both look kind of shitty, honestly. Okay. Well, but... the one, the original one, is from 1976, and obviously it's going to be shitty, because it's 1976. <laughs> like, film quality They did not have the technology, though. No. But I think that they stayed more true to the story, and the new one just goes off on a tangent and just makes shit up. And that's fine, but it was not a good version of that story. It was horrible. So don't watch the new one. Watch the old one if you're going to watch it. But it is basically about this guy who goes around killing couples in parked cars. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like a lot of of, um, murders. I don't know. It sounds like the Zodiac to me, which is also... I'm going to bring this up later. Um, (laughs) Just keep that in the back of your mind. So the first murder, it took place in 1946. It was a man and a woman, and they were parked in their car, and a guy approached the car and flashed a flashlight in their eyes. Does this sound familiar? It sounds like the Zodiac. I'm just going to keep saying that. <laughs> hint, hint. Hint, hint. Hint, hint. Big hint. Um... So after he does this, the guy kind of is like, what the hell? And goes to get out of the car and he shoots him. I believe he shot him in the legs, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, it was Jimmy Hollis and Mary Jean Larry. So the guy approaches, shoots him. The woman sees him. Oh my gosh. And he is wearing what looks to be either like a white bag over his head with the eyes cut out or like a burlap sack. Like a flower sack. Yeah. It's, there is a picture that was drawn and it is very like, mortifying to look at. Just this guy in a bag over his head with the eye holes cut out just coming up on you with I just a gun. imagine them releasing that as like, we're looking for this man, but it's just a guy with a bag <laughs> And everyone head. in town looks like that? No. <laughs> <laughs> a whole town. We all wear plaid shirts and bags over our heads here. Um, it's in Texarkana, so that is very possible. <laughs> if you know anything about Texarkana, um, they have an town. overabundance of flower bags there. Yes. 
it, they just made flower bags. It is a town that is on the border of Texas and Arkansas, which sounds like an awful place to be. And what's fucked up about this place and what made this murder so difficult to, well, it wasn't ever solved. Um, there you go. They have two police departments for the Texas side and the Arkansas side. So everything is separated, but they claim that they are one giant town. And that's why there was so much wrong when they were investigating this case, because they had two separate police departments looking into it. Which is interesting, because <laughs> I wonder how many towns are like truly at border like that, because that does make it really tricky. I've heard a lot of times where it's um, like a, a town police department going against maybe like a county or a state where they kind of have like a competitive... Oh, yeah. This is how most unsolved cases go. It's just complete and utter incompetence and lack of cooperation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and especially in 1946 when you can't even like gather evidence. I mean, luckily those people survived the first two that were shot because that's how we were able to figure out his like MO that he was wearing, you know, a flower sack over his face and going around shooting people. So... <laughs> Um, the weird thing though was like, so he ordered that guy out of the vehicle, he shot him, but before he shot him, he asked him to just take his pants down, just like casually, just like, Hey, drop trowel <laughs> and I shoot you. <laughs> I mean, you can't really say no when somebody's waving a gun yeah. in your face, but that is, but he didn't assault him or anything. He just asked him to drop trowel and then he shot and him. And wasn't happy with what he saw. Yeah. And then he, I mean, he did the same thing with the woman, but he did actually assault her. And then he also, after he shot the guy, like, beat him. But the woman was just shot. After, like, after he shot him? After he shot him, he beat him and, like, fractured his skull. So he had, like, brain damage, but he survived. So it's just, he kind of, I think he kind of went into it with a plan, and then was just like, oh, he's not dead. And just rap on his head a few times. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine him very, like, flamboyant. <laughs> very gentle motions and kind of a very gentle rapping Get you on the head. (laughs) That's how he talks in my mind. Um, So that story put the whole town into just like utter panic. Because this is like the end of World War II. Everyone's coming home. It's like, oh, we in the war. It's like a romantic time. And then there's this guy going around like fucking, you know, I'm just going to shoot people. (laughs) And it's couples. And you know, it's, and that's they a just very... want to go out and neck. Just leave them alone. <laughs> it's but... a very, I mean, it is a, kind of this time of innocence and yeah. almost like naivety, maybe. Oh, yeah. That, well, that wouldn't happen here, you know. Everybody... Especially in a small southern town. Right. Right. But if you know anything about Texas, you know that happens in every small Texan town. <laughs> You have, like, you have to be psychologically messed up to live in Texas. That is my firm belief. I have family in Texas. Let me tell you. (laughs) You have to be cray. So Literally cray. You just alienated all of Texas from listening. Oh, I love Texas. (laughs) I love Texas. I love it because they are crazy. (laughs) They will hoot and holler, and I love it. Um, But... They do have the best barbecue. The well, barbecue. Some of the, some of the best there barbecue. There is there is amazing art down there. So I mean, I've artists. never actually been to Texas. I'm just oh, making this up. It's beautiful. I've been there. Um, San Antonio, Austin. That's a that's a great area. I love right. it. But anyway, let's <laughs> not talk about my love of Texas right now. Um, so then the second couple that run into this guy uh, is Richard Griffin and Polly Ann Moore. And this part of the story is really sad to me because they were teenagers. She was 16. I think he was 18 or 19. But 
it's like the quintessential like 1940s story. So she was in a band, like a swing band. Okay. And she was playing at a gig that night. Okay, 16 years old. The gig got done at 11 o'clock. It's the middle of the week. I don't know like what these children are doing. But <laughs> that, is, that is kind of unusual It's very for weird. So she gets in at a gig. He picks her up to walk her home. Like, really nice. They're friends. And then they run into him. The flower sack man. The flower sack face guy. Um, the official... The official title of hit, like, in the papers was The Phantom Killer, and then they called these killings the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Very, you know, Ooh, That's <laughs> a romantic perfect, name. That's the perfect headline title for the newspaper. Oh, it is. Oh, whoever did, like, there's articles online that you can read that are very beautifully written, but they also sound like someone was just creating a story. They added a lot of extra stuff. Mm. The part in the movie, this, like, this story in the movie was a little bit, I laughed a little bit. <laughs> and I feel bad because the true story is so, so sad. But in the movie, they have her playing a slide trombone, but she didn't play a slide trombone. I think she played a trumpet or something. Something that didn't have a moving part. And the killer tied a knife to the end of the trombone and had her up against a tree and was playing it and stabbing her. And I was like, Aah! and then the knife just goes into her and she's like, oh, <laughs> against the tree. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, oh. The image of somebody being, it's so it's like a trombone bayonet. Yes, a trombone oh. bayonet. And she's in this beautiful pink, like, florally gown with gloves. And she's, like, against this tree, like, don't kill me, sir. And he's just, like, playing a trombone, knifing her in the back, which is not what happened. He did stab her, but not with a trombone bayonet. So that part was loosely based. Yes, it's very loosely based. <laughs> on what happened. <laughs> so they don't really know what occurred because they were found in different places. So it was, um, they, I believe they found her first. <laughs> so they found her first and she was like kind of off into a ditch. Um, and it was about a mile away from where they were last seen in public. And then it took them like another day or so to find the guy. And he was found even further away, like way further away. Like they were running away from him. Oh, and she got, she got it first. first. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he, he didn't shoot her. He stabbed her and he shot him. Yeah. So he shot him twice and he stabbed her. But they didn't really, like, they were reported missing um, the next day, and that's when they started to do their, like, the search for the two. The thing about this one is, though, like, they weren't really in a car. They were walking, and it was, I don't know, it's, it seemed like a kind of by chance thing that he came across them. Like a whereas, crime of opportunity. Yeah, like an opportunity, whereas the first people, it seemed like he was planning it out, and he's like, okay, I'm going to do this. He had the flashlight and everything, where this was kind of like, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> um, nice evening for a walk, Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so after that happened, they kind of put the whole town on lockdown, and this is where the investigation started to get messed up, because they were going around, they believed that it, like they were shooting him with a Colt 45 was the gun of choice. But then in the second murder, he stabbed her. So they weren't sure, like, was this the same person? Is it a different person? And of course, there was no witness this time. So they couldn't verify that it was the same guy with a flower sack over his fucking face. Was the, the first guy who, uh, the, ver the very first guy who survived, was he the only witness? No, the woman survived too. Oh, okay. Um, I, I want to say that, I mean, he sustained a lot of, his brain was damaged. 
like severely damaged. Yeah, I don't think he actually like totally survived it. Um, he, yeah, like he was, a ve- he was a vegetable yeah. basically. <laughs> uh, um, and actually, she was fifteen. She was younger than I thought. She the, the second couple. Fifteen. She was fifteen. Goodness. And it was an alto sax. I like I knew it wasn't a trombone. It was a trumpet. I don't know. It was an alto sax. This is important facts, right? You need to know what musical instrument she was carrying when she was brutally murdered by a rando in a flower sack face. On this record, it is an alto sax. Alto sax. Alto sax. But they like they were putting up all these posters, and they were you know there's like a ransom for like a ransom. That's the word. Um. The reward. <laughs> it's the other R word. Uh, there was a reward of a hundred dollars. Like, I mean, that's kind of a lot. Nineteen forty-six, a hundred dollars. But there, there was like literally no one saw anything or heard anything. And that's why they're calling the Phantom Killer because it was like he would kill these people, and there was literally no evidence—not a footprint, not you know. There was a shell casing at the first scene, and that's how they kind of figured it was you know a Colt forty-five. But they weren't a hundred percent sure because it was like obliterated. So the third couple, um, this is where it kind of gets a little weird because Virgil and Katie Starks were in their home when he supposedly attacked them. There's a lot of debate as whether or not this was actually him or somebody else. Um, so they were at home in their farmhouse pretty far away from town. Um, it's like more northeast, so it's way out of town, not anywhere close to where it was occurring. And the husband was in the dining room area listening to a radio show, and he was shot at through the window. The woman hears it, freaks out, is like, oh my god, we're being attacked. And she runs out of the house. Okay. Obviously, this isn't a love story. They don't love <laughs> She's just like, bye. What's <laughs> it? I mean, you hear this a lot, and I don't understand why when something like this happens, the first thought is not, oh, I should probably call 911. It's always, I'm going to run away or grab a knife and try to attack, or like, try, I'm going to go investigate, maybe, see what's going on before I decide to call the police. So they had a phone there, but it was one of the phones, like, back then where you had to have a crank and call the operator. So oh. she did crank and call. And then they shot through the window again, and she was just like, bye! Oh. Like, booked it out of there. Because the second time they were shooting at her, but they missed her. Okay. Um, It, like, went right by her ear. And she was like, nope. Because her husband was shot in the head. He was he was dead. Yeah. He was down for the count. There was no coming back from that head wound. So she gets on the floor. She crawls to the door. Actually, I think she got her... There was a pistol. It's Texas. Everyone has a gun in their house. Of course. She grabbed a pistol, then ran out of the house. I didn't really read too much on this part of the story because I don't really think that it was him. There's nothing in this that seems like the M.O. of him because there were also murders previously where there was a bunch of single girls being taken and shot. I think that those murders were the buildup for him shooting the couples in the car and the couple walking. I feel like this was probably a random guy who was just writing that story. Well, it's hard in a, in a small town like that when all mm-hmm. of a sudden everybody's getting murdered yeah. and it's not, you know, like a normal thing. You're just going to attribute every crime, like big crime, murder or assault or anything that happens in that time period after to the same person. Exactly. And this, I really don't believe. She she wound up running to another house, they called the police, and they came and they investigated, but it's just, even they even thought that it wasn't the same gun, they thought it was a shotgun because of the glass, there was, just everything about it didn't seem like it belonged to me. They, I mean, 
in all the paperwork and the newspaper and everything, the police attribute this to him as well. The husband was killed, but the wife was not. Um, she didn't see anybody, you know, all she heard was gunshots. She, I mean, even running out of the house, she didn't see anybody. And obviously he's going to be pretty close to your house if he's shooting through a window and blasting your husband's head off. Like, and somebody walking around, range. <laughs> somebody walking around with like a sack on their head, which yeah. is his thing. Yeah. You would notice. Exactly. I think, I, think I would recognize a weirdo walking around with a bag on his head. <laughs> that guy. That guy is a weirdo. <laughs> Just like. Yes. How, also, how could you get accurate with a bag over your head? Yeah, I, that's actually a really good point because I, unless the eye holes are super, like, like teacup <laughs> size, but that's not very I mean, scary. He was shooting people with some pretty good accuracy, which kind of makes me believe maybe he's really good with a gun and, you know, right. maybe does it for a living or hunts or something like that. Yeah. Or um, lives in Texas. Or he is just a Texan <laughs> because guns. Um, but some of like the, uh, some of the newspaper like headlines, you just, you have to go and read them. They are just really, it's like murder rock city again, farmer slain, wife wounded. It's like <laughs> she got her ear grazed. Yeah. Her ear was grazed. Like, Earlobe. I can never wear these diamond earrings again. Uh, <laughs> and I was like sex maniac hunted and murders. And he only assaulted one person and the, <laughs> The rest were just like, it only takes pew, 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 pew. And it's like, he's sex crazed. I mean, he did ask that guy to drop his pants, probably just to laugh at him. <laughs> I mean, you take your pants off, stupid fucking idiot, and you're dead. Don't look back on this. You're a vegetable and you died. Yeah. <laughs> so, this was never solved. Nothing ever, like, no one ever was taken in. They had, like, lists and lists and lists of people that they thought perhaps maybe it was. And they went on this huge rant about the flashlight because the woman who saw it in the first murder was like, oh, it's like a, a red and black, like, flashlight. And back then, most of them weren't plastic. They were metal. So this was like a huge, like, oh, this is a break in the case. It's some shitty plastic flashlight. <laughs> but... That was just like a dime store flashlight. Kids were buying those. So right. it's like, it wasn't a break in the case. It was just someone who couldn't afford a metal flashlight buying a cheap, shitty dime store flashlight and flashing it in the people's face. Like, that was it. There was one guy that um, kind of people believed that was the murderer. But I don't know. It, it's not very convincing to me. His name was Yule Swinney. Very Texas name. Yule Yule Sweeney. You try and say that without an accent. You can't. Yule Sweeney. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, um, Midwest. <laughs> he was in and out of jail all the time. People really thought he was the guy because he went to jail in 1947 for like a string of thefts. And that's pretty much when the guy stopped going around killing people. But, I mean, you can really look at records and see, oh, this guy went to jail too, and this guy went to jail also at that time, and the murder stopped. So it's not, I don't know, it's all hearsay well, and, and not definitive. <laughs> they don't really have any physical evidence? They don't have any physical evidence. Yeah. I mean, even the description that the first victim gave was vague. She couldn't say what color he was because he's wearing a bag on his head and it was dark and they, he sh like put a flashlight in their face. So it's like, oh, this is really great description. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's just sad because they, I mean, I, I feel like that 
one in particular is one that just kind of fizzled out. Yeah. I mean, they were investigating it. Nothing was really moving forward. And they then did. Kinda... They did investigate him because his wife said, oh, yeah, he's definitely the killer. But then she immediately retracted it hours later. I personally think she was just, she didn't like her husband. She knew he was just a thief and a swindler, and or his she, name was fucking Yule. <laughs> or she wanted, a, a, maybe she wanted some attention for that. Some people yeah. would be like, ooh. Oh, poor her. Know, send yeah. her a casserole, prayers her way. <laughs> that sort of thing. Really. I brush his casserole. I'm so sorry. Your husband is the sex maniac, moonlight phantom Gosh. murderer of Texarkana. Yeah. Some, yeah. <laughs> some people are like that, where they just oh, want yeah. the attention and will turn in anybody. So she, like, she retracted it. And, um, I mean, he remained in prison until the 70s, off and on, like, yeah. just for theft and assault. But it, he was assaulting men. And he never, he was never caught for an assault on a woman or anything like that. So, I don't I don't really think that he is the guy. There was also a woman claiming to be his daughter. This was, like, in the late 80s, early 90s. She wrote an apology letter to one of the families. But it later, like, he never had children. So unless this was, like, an illegitimate child from some other place, this woman was just BSing these people. She's like, I'm so sorry for what my father did to your family. Signed something something Swinney. Just utter bullshit. Just nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. So that was the only man that really stood out to me. I mean... They did have some, like, circumstantial evidence. The car that uh, he drove kind of fit the description of the car that the guy pulled up in in the first murder. When they went to bring him in for questioning, they approached him and he was like, please don't shoot me. And was just like, I'm just, I'm just stealing cars. It's nothing to shoot me for. Like, you just be, just being a real fucking weirdo. Uh, he kind of had, this clothes that was described. But, I mean, it's so generic. It was just, like, khaki pants and a plaid shirt. It's 1946. Everyone wore khaki pants and a plaid shirt if you were, like, an upstanding citizen. It's yeah. not like... It's I just, just some it's, Joe Schmo. Yeah. I yeah. Just, to me, it doesn't make any sense. And there was a couple other guys. Um, H.B. Tennyson, a.k.a. Duty, was his nickname. These are all the most... Southern. So Southern. Nicknames. Um, or not even nicknames, <laughs> real names. He sounds like he doesn't have a job and he just fishes all day. <laughs> so Duty Tennyson was another guy that they looked into. Um, he They looked into him because he was purchasing large sums of cyanide rat poison and um, totally ammo. Normal. And totally ammo. normal. To me, I don't, I mean, he sounds like he's up to something, but not to up to this murder. There's no cyanide involved. And he was just like, yeah, we have a rat problem. Was why they were like, you're, you bought pounds of cyanide, sir. Big rats. What are you doing? It's Texas. The Everything really is large. bigger in Texas. Uh, <laughs> but he just, there's just all these poor, uneducated guys who are just going around, you know. Late, I mean, later it came out that he was like intending to poison his family. But, you know, he was like, So did they, wait, did they catch him before? Like, yes. Before that Before happened? he attempted to murder his family. Okay. <laughs> um, he wound up only killing himself. Oh. Oh, good. 
good. So, you know. Yeah, that worked out for the best. Um, and there was another, like, there was a guy who was a previous POW in Germany who they thought might have been the guy, too, because um, his work outfit was, like, khaki, like, coverall. It just, I don't think that they will ever figure it out. I don't think they were looking at the right people. It was just a clusterfuck. There was no communication between the Texas side and the Arkansas side. And it's just so sad. Like, yeah. And it was quick. I mean, these people were getting murdered left and right. It was within a matter of months. But So did, <laughs> did Zodiac happen before or after? Zodiac happened after. Zodiac okay. is in the 60s. So there is a lot of speculation that perhaps um, the man who was committing these murders was the Zodiac. I don't know how that could be. So this took place in, in Texas. The Zodiac was in California. Um, they suspected that maybe he was a grifter going around, um, you know, previously a, a war vet. And they thought that he was maybe, you know, 18 or 19 when he served. This is this is the official speculation. A uh, war vet, maybe 18, 19, started murdering there in Texas. Got, you know, his idea for it. Obviously, the hood, very similar MO to yeah. Zodiac. Yeah. The approaching couples parked off of a road, the flashlight, the shooting them in the, you know, head, asking them to do, like, lewd things before he killed them. Just weird, you know, if you look into the Zodiac case, there's a lot of weird shit he asks these people to do before right. yeah. he murders them. So there's a lot of speculation that it might be the same person, but if you think about the time frame, though, if he was 18 or 19 in 1946, and this was, like, the early to mid-60s, he would have been considerably older. I don't know if he would have been as agile. It just seems like he was doing a lot of physical things, the Zodiac aspects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there was no, you know, writing to the newspaper or anything, but it could also have been he was just going deep deep, deep into his delusion because there is something there for a person to approach couples and having them do these things and shooting them. And if you look at any of the letters and the ciphers and stuff that the Zodiac sent, it was a deeply disturbed person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So if it was something, you know, if they were the same person, um, I, it, it could make sense. It's a far off shot. But I can right. see, I mean, there are a lot of similarities, but it could also have just been an inspiration for course, the yeah. Zodiac to look at that case and be like, flower sack on the head? That right. sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Flashlight in someone's face? I'm taking that idea. So <laughs> yeah. uh, it could have just been a coincidence or someone, you know, playing off of the ideas of the phantom killer, but... I think it's interesting that people do think that it's the same person. Yeah. And if you go down that rabbit hole and you oh if gosh. you look that stuff up. The Zodiac is always just The Zodiac is so interesting in itself, but if you go down that very specific rabbit hole of them being related and the same person, you will you will not leave your room for ever days. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's um the town that dreaded sundown, the phantom killer. That sounds like a great movie. I just want to watch it for that campy For real. like campy kitschy 70s movies, that's my go-to like I love the the horror movies from the 70s because they're just so they are sexy but not overtly so. Like if you looked a lot of the 
in horror movies from now, it's just like, these people are fucking and then they're murdered. Yeah. It's like, you have this recipe of fuck and murder. But it's like, back then, it's kind of just like, ooh, <laughs> we're going to go sneak away and like, we're going to allude to the fact that we're going to be Yeah, it's very stuff. like sultry and kind of yeah, subtle it's still and not you know, stuff to the imagination. Right. And it's also like, I like it because it's gory, but not overtly so. Like, I don't want it to look real. I want it to be that fake blood spewing forth from your neck kind of thing. I don't want it to be like, oh. And see, gonna... I, I am the complete opposite. <laughs> I, I am absolutely the complete opposite. I, I want it to look, want it as, to look real real as possible. Because I know the reality. I know what happens <laughs> in real life. I want to be taken out of that. Uh, that's, I don't want to, you know. That's why these horror movies based on, like, real events is really interesting to me because the stories that they come from, people, like, if you watch that movie and you never heard about that murder, you'd be like, this is fucked up. Like, who would think of this? Well, it actually happened. That's the fucked up part. Yeah, and some <laughs> you have these moments that are like, you cannot write this shit. Oh, no. And you, we, I definitely get a lot of that in the one that I'm going to be discussing. It's called Borderland. Mm, this is a um, good movie. I was so very excited <laughs> when I saw this. Um, I haven't actually watched the movie. Mm-hmm. I was having a little trouble finding it. I um, wonder why. <laughs> it's pretty, it looks pretty terrible. I did watch a trailer for it. It's um, pretty gruesome. <laughs> I did watch it. It is gross. Yeah. And the actual real events are even more gross. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, Borderland came out in 2007. It was directed by Zev Berman. And I just kind of grabbed the main actors that we might know from some mm-hmm. things. Um, so it starred Brian Presley. He did like a bunch of those down home football kind of movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like the military soldier, you know. Returning home. <laughs> yeah. He did a lot of like that kind You of don't thing. even know the shit I've seen. <laughs> yeah. Um, it also had Jake Muxworthy, who was in I Heart Huckabees. Um, Ryder Strong, mm-hmm. who many people know as Sean Hunter from Boy Meets World. I heard him. <laughs> who doesn't? Right. Um, and Sean Astin, who I was, I was actually, it took me a minute to figure out that he was in this movie, but, um, he was Samwise Gamgee in Lord of the Rings. Rudy. I'm sorry. I first go to Rudy. <laughs> Lord of the Just Rings. Just like, dirt, Rudy. <laughs> you I'm totally would. PC. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I did like to see if they had any sort of like rating on Rotten Tomato. It didn't really have anything, but it had it's kind of a underground, yeah, like, like a B movie horror movie. It had an audience score of forty three percent, which is not that great. No. It's under fifty percent, so it's just super gory, super basic, super super gory. <laughs> but I think that's what kind of turns people off sometimes if they right. go into the movie and they know it's gonna be bloody. That's exactly <laughs> what I want. But oh, yes. I, I do think I am kind of unusual in that way. Mm-hmm. That I'm like, the more real, the better. Because I'm fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, so I'm going to read just the little kind of movie synopsis. Mm-hmm. Um, so three college students, Phil, Ed, and Henry, take a road trip into Mexico for a week of drinking and carefree fun, only to have Phil find himself a captive of a group of satanic Mexican drug smugglers who kill tourists and whom are looking for a group of new ones to prepare for a sacrifice. Which, that sounds far-fetched, right? Yeah, not right? so much. Yeah. You would think it sounds You'd be like, oh, that sounds totally 
fucking made up. Right. What kind of idiot wrote this? <laughs> well, um, let me introduce life wrote you. This. Yeah. <laughs> let me introduce you to his name is Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo. You sounded so white when you said that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I can't change what I am. <laughs> Um, from this point forward, I'm honestly, I'm just going to call him Constanzo, if I can even get that out. Constanzo! Yeah, Constanzo, because I don't want to say all of that stuff. So, um, he was born in Miami, Florida to Delia Aurora Gonzalez. Keep pushing through those names. (laughs) A Cuban immigrant mother, um, in 1962. He was born in 1962. Um, she gave birth to him at the age of 15 and eventually had three children, all of which had different fathers. Sounds um, like a real good So not making. super well and as I'm going through this his home life was not super stable it was mm-hmm. really really unusual um, they moved to San Juan, Puerto Rico after her first husband died and she remarried while she was in Puerto Rico and so Constanzo was baptized Catholic and he served as an altar boy but his mom would also take him to Haiti to mm-hmm. go practice and learn about voodoo and like voodoo ceremonies. So they returned to Miami in 1972, and Casino's stepfather died a little bit after that, left the family with some money, but as a teenager, Constanzo became apprenticed to a local sorcerer and began to practice a religion called Palo Mayambe. It's kind of like a, a centuria, okay. sort of where it blends like Catholicism ideologies and voodoo together. Yeah, and it's from what I could could look up about it, it was a lot of like animal sacrifice mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. It was, I'll be honest, when I tried to look it up, it was a little confusing. I imagine it was a lot in Spanish. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's very close to Santeria, and um, I'm interested in that sort of thing. Like, yeah. Like, voodoo fascinates me. Just like the witchcraft sort of stuff in right. general is fascinating right. to me. And that's all kind of in the same wheelhouse. Oh, yeah. And when they blend when they blend it with Catholicism, because there's a lot of uh, praying to saints and things like that to bring you good luck and fortune, uh, it, I mean, it makes Catholicism more fascinating. Fascinating. I mean, it's boring otherwise. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like you add Catholicism to anything and it's like twice as dangerous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're playing on both sides of the track. Right, yeah. <laughs> so um, his mom remarried to an overly religious guy and it was um, religious with this Palo Mayambe, which is not sound like I'm saying it right at all. So I apologize. <laughs> this whole story so is the practitioners out this. there yeah. that are listening. Yeah, write me angry emails about how horrible. Just don't hex us, please. Yeah. Um, And basically, they all started doing crime together, which is like shoplifting and vandalism. His mom, Constanza's mom, thought he was psychic because he supposedly predicted the attempted assassination of former President Reagan in 1981. So I just imagined him sitting on the couch like, hey, mom, I'm pretty sure that uh, someone's going to try and kill President Reagan. I mean, if... (laughs) You know, I know it's a little tricky with the with like the voodoo religions mm-hmm. because that is, kind of, I mean, psychics and being premonitions, right? Yeah. But I just the just imagining of all things to predict, mm-hmm. you know, they probably called him the cowboy, the cowboy. 
I see. And the cowboy is going to be shy. <laughs> <laughs> so he um he grows up, gets a little older. He moves to Mexico City. He meets these three guys um who basically end up becoming his first followers um for his cult religion. Um, but the four of them started to create a profitable business, casting spells and um using those spells to bring good luck. They did this using ritual sacrifice. Which is the only way to do it. Of course, yeah. (laughs) Of chickens, goats, snakes, zebras, and lion cubs. Where the fuck do you find a lion cub in Mexico? I feel like you can, like, find anything in Mexico if you try hard enough. Just order it. We're going to need a couple. We need a baker's dozen of lion cubs, please. Yeah. We have a big event coming up. <laughs> baker's dozen. They just arrive, I mean, they got to arrive alive, though. Yeah. You know, then it wouldn't be <laughs> sacrifice. No. Um, a lot of his clients. I, I don't think I could kill lion no. cubs. They're so cute. Like, I go, mm, whatever. But like a lion cub, like looking all like Simba at me while I go to slit its throat? No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, I mean, nobody claims that this is rational. No. <laughs> um, I just like animals too much, so this yeah. will never work for me. Yeah. Like, hey guys, can we just like maybe pretend to kill just the lion cub? Lion can we just cub. be like, oh no, I'm joking. Right. <laughs> And then just make him go to sleep. <laughs> so this business, a lot of his um, clients were these really rich drug dealers and hitmen who enjoyed the violence in this oh, yeah. kind of ritualistic animal you see, sacrifice. You see that a lot. Even now, there's a lot of cartels that have, you know, ties and roots with um, practitioners of, you know, the occult. Well, and I think a lot, I mean, I'm not saying this doesn't happen in the U.S., but a lot of drug cartels and things like that are in these areas where those kinds of religions and practices are really prominent. Mm-hmm. Um, things like in Mexico or you know, even if we go to the Southwest, uh, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, anywhere that's along the border, those small little towns that if you would never want to drive through, it's a lot of, a lot of those towns. Exactly. He also attracted other rich members of Mexican society, including a lot of high ranking corrupt policemen, um, who basically would then introduce him to the city's highest ranking, um, powerful narcotics cartels. Mm -hmm. So basically, he just kept making They're connections. All working together, you know? Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, after all of this, he basically goes to one of these drug cartels and demands to become a partner. He oh. says, <laughs> all of these ceremonies that I've been doing for you, yeah, that's the reason you're doing so well. So, so make you. me a partner. Yeah. If it wasn't for me. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, he says, all of my spells contributed to your success. I kind of won in on this game. Um, but it was completely rejected. They were like, fuck you. You're, you're not a part of this. Um, suddenly, then, seven members of this drug cartel's family disappears. And I wonder where they went. Right? Um, I mean, that does happen a lot. Yeah. Well, and uh, how many times, in drug cartels, how many times people, you know, if you fuck somebody over, you automatically say, you're probably going to die. Yeah. You don't even have to even do anything. You can no. just be looking at someone and they'd be like, you know what? The whole family gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and it sounds like at this point, he, by this point, he had the three guys that he started the business with. He was starting to gain some followers from all of these 
ceremonies that he was doing. So he was kind of a powerful guy Mm -hmm. and could just send people out to do this work for him. So they disappeared and their bodies turned up later. They didn't have any fingers, toes, ears. The brains were gone. (laughs) And one of them was missing a spine. Oh, so wonder how they got that out. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you do enough voodoo sacrifice, I imagine you kind of know how to take so out bodies. Just take a spine right out. Yeah. Like an split. <laughs> um, so he ends up joining a new cartel, a different, um, a different one and marries a, they refer to her as his new high priestess, Sarah Aldrete. So all of this is happening. And then finally, people start noticing because in on March 13th in 1989, one of his henchmen abducted an American pre-med student, Mark Kilroy, who was in Mexico on spring break. So the, I hate to say this, but you abduct an American pre-med student, somebody's going to know this. Yeah, someone is going to fucking figure that out. <laughs> yeah, um, which is interesting because the the movie Borderland, it's kind of these guys on spring break that go out and all of a sudden they get taken off. So that's this is where this uh, comes into play. So they then... I gotta flip my page here. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> <How many> notes. <laughs> yeah. So they, um, this pre med student, they killed him for his superior brain because he was so smart, they could use it for better spell stuff. Right. Um, he was killed by a machete chop to the back of the ne- neck after he tried to escape. So he tried to escape, they chased him down, and then tried to chop his head off with a machete. I can't imagine that would be a quick death. <laughs> no. And I mean, if it's, I mean, if it's not like a freshly sharpened machete, I mean, you got to take a couple of wax. There's bone yeah. and, you know, I imagine you probably stopped feeling, but you were very conscious. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so he did try to escape and they ended up catching him and killing him. That is when the police really started to investigate uh, after Mark Kilroy's death and they ended up discovering his henchmen um, and kind of unraveled this whole cult that was being run by Constanzo um, that was mixed in with these drug cartels and all it was, you know, it all kind of came crumbling down at that moment. Um, so he fled to Mexico. I think he might have been back in the country, left Mexico City, came back into the country, went back to Mexico. So he fled to Mexico and he was at in a, an apartment building and... He was at an apartment building and there was something completely unrelated happening, like a dispute between some people that were in the apartment that he was at, nothing having to do with him. And the cops showed up and he was like, oh, fuck, <laughs> they're here for me. You know, not have a premonition about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. We couldn't see that coming. Yeah. That's, that was his downfall is he could only predict the deaths of other people. <laughs> right. And he wasn't really good at that because it was an attempted murder. Yeah. It didn't his visions are very vague. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he mistakenly thought that the cops had found him and said to one of his henchmen, oh, I'm sorry, he opened fire with machine gun on the cops. Um, then he said to one of his henchmen, you need to shoot me so the cops can't take me in. <laughs> and of course, what? <laughs> yeah, of course, because it's a cult following and they're very, you know, they will do, at that point, oh, yeah. they will do no anything with them asked, to yeah. um, shot him. So a total in the end, a total of 14 cult members were charged with a range of crimes from murder and drug running to obstructing obstructing the course of justice. 
um, Sarah Aldrete, who was his high priestess, Elio Hernandez and Serafin Hernandez were charged with multiple murders and were ordered to serve prison sentences of over 60 years each. Um, and Delian was given a 30 year term. And these are just some of his henchmen that were, um, kind of carrying all this stuff. So <laughs> basically you have a cult mixed in with drug cartels, high ranking officials in the city. You can kind of do whatever you want until you kill an American. That's the moral yeah. of the story. <laughs> then America is just going to come in and, <laughs> you know, kick butt. Uh, well, they, yeah. Well, they're gonna, they will kick butt at the border and yell at yeah, you. Yeah. Like, hey, back here. Well, and I imagine they, so it's interesting to me because all of these people were convicted of multiple murders and they each ended up getting sentences of over 60 years. But to me, it doesn't sound like it's like a life imprisonment kind of thing. Yeah. It's like a 60 and then parole in so many. I mean, I'm not sure how that works in Mexico because it sounds like they were charged in Mexico. Yeah, but I'm really sure multiple, for multiple murders. Yeah, that <laughs> just seems really low of a prison sentence. Um, but they probably, I mean, there's probably a lot of murders. Whereas, unlike here, the majority of people imprisoned is for like robbery and drug problems. Yeah, nonviolent offenses. Nonviolent right. offenders. Whereas in Mexico, it's probably the complete opposite. Yeah. You could throw a rock and you would hit someone who's murdered somebody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. It just, it seems like such a light sense. I mean, not saying that the U.S. does really any better because it yeah. seems to me that a lot of people who do commit very violent and heinous crimes mm -hmm. are not given proper prison oh, sentences no. for one reason or another. So and even even if you're in prison for your entire life, you're still getting three meals a day and you get your shower and you have your own personal space. So it's not it's not a punishment. It's like yeah. putting someone in a timeout. I think you were bad. I think Don't it definitely depends on where you're at, but yeah, absolutely. But I'd still rather see somebody in life in prison than getting out on parole, you know, even in 60, 70 years. Bring back the labor camps. Make them break rocks. You should move to Texas. <laughs> they do still break rocks down. I know. I mean, not sit in your cushy, you know, cell with your flip-flops on and your ramen. Like, no, you have to go bust rocks and then move them and then move them again. <laughs> oh, you make it sound so nice in prison. It is. It's cushy. <laughs> so that is, uh, that is Borderland. Awesome. All right. So my second movie that I'm going to talk about isn't really a horror movie. It's more of like a suspense thriller. Okay. Um, it's the changing, changing, changeling, changeling. Um, it has Angelina Jolie in it, if you are... Who? Angelina Jolie. I don't know. I've never heard of... Angelina Jolie Pitt? Pitt, oh. 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 Or did she take that off now? <laughs> I don't know. And it's based off of this case that connects to the Wineville chicken coop murders. So in the movie, Angelina Jolie plays this mother whose son goes missing. And it, it's in the 1920s, so it's very, like, you know... Oh, glamorous. She's got these beautiful little hats on everything, which is not at all what this woman looks like. If you look up the picture, she just looks like a tired, like haggard woman who just has to like wrestle these children. She's basically a single mom. So her husband is in jail because he's a criminal. Oh, and, um, is that what you go to jail for nowadays? For being a criminal. I think he um, assaulted someone and stole something. So he was in jail and um, she was basically a single mom. 
She had, I know for sure, two kids. I think I think she had more than two kids, though. But anyway, her son, Walter, goes missing. Um, he was supposed to be coming home. He never shows up. She kind of gets freaked out and goes to the police. And they go on this manhunt. They're looking for this child. And they don't find him. So a couple months go by. And then all of a sudden, this kid in DeKalb, Illinois. Hey, real close to here. Um, says, I'm Walter. Um, I need to be, I need to go back home. I need help. Someone abducted me and they sold me. Please help me get back home. So they buy a, a train ticket for him to come from DeKalb, Illinois to California. The boy comes off the train and the woman's like, that's not my son. Oh, I totally remember this. Yeah. You had said, I saw it when you had put Wineville chicken coop murders and I'm thinking, well, that sounds kind of wonder, you know, that sounds really interesting, but I do uh, remember hearing about that mm-hmm. at one point in time, because how fucked up would it be to get so excited that your kid's coming home and then it's some random child? So the crazy thing is the police were like, no, that's your son. <laughs> so the, the character in the movie, Angelina Jolie, said, you're not my son. Like, you know, just professing it, screaming it from the rooftops. Right. And this boy's like, what are you talking about, mommy? Like, I'm Walter. Like, being really crooked. He's not British, but that's how I imagine like children in the here. 1920s I'll talking. Like he comes back and he's British for some reason. <laughs> you are my mummy. Um, <laughs> um, she's like, no. So the detective is like, take him home and try him out. That is a quote. The detective told her to try this child out. Which is just absurd. <laughs> it is. I, and didn't it have something to do with they kind of, like, thought, well, you're under mental duress. Like, yes. maybe so you're just not Because she was him. freaking out so much. And she already had some, like, mental issues. She was a manic depressive already. And because she was basically a single mother, she had all these kids she had to take care of. She was under a lot of added stress. So they figured, okay... She's seeing things, basically. And she just doesn't... She just is so lost in her, you know, listlessness that she can't see that that's her child. If you look at the pictures, there's a couple pictures of the kid. He kind of vaguely looks like him. Um, you know, short, scruffy blonde hair, just, you know, a little, little kid. So she takes him home. She tries the kid out, and uh, it's not a fit, because um, it's, it's not Walter. <laughs> this child. I don't have the receipt, but. So she does go back to the police, and she's like, listen, guys, this isn't him. This is not my son. I don't know who he is. He's basically a stranger living in my house. She went to the dentist. She got dental records. She went to his pediatrician. She got all of this evidence laid out, and the cops are like... He's your kid. Even though the dentist was like, the teeth don't match. And the pediatrician's like, he's not the right height and weight. This isn't him. They wind up committing her to a mental hospital because they say the newspapers were shouting like, oh, this woman just wants to get rid of her kid and she doesn't have any responsibilities. So, you know, like 1920s newsy voice, like, oh, extra, extra woman trying to dump child that was saved. Like, no. And in the 19, I feel like in that period of time, that was still when you had these really like absurd kind of things that you could be committed for, especially women. Especially if you're a woman. They 
just they could you commit crazy. you for having your period yeah. because you were hysterical. Oh yeah. Which is And a- hysteria would just be like you being a little short with someone. She's hysterical. <laughs> Don't like, be a bitch, you know. You will be committed. You will be committed. They didn't care. They're like, just lock her up. She'll be fine in a few months. So they locked her up, and the kid eventually confessed and said, I'm not Walter. I saw it in the newspaper. I wanted to be famous. I wanted to see California. I didn't like my home life. So he was a kid that was just drifting around. He was originally from Indiana, and so they took him back, and they finally let her go. But because of that, she, I mean, she went through therapy and therapy back then was like dousing you in cold water and electromagnetic shock therapy. So she was basically fucked the rest of her life mentally. It made whatever issues that she was having already far worse. So the the movie kind of goes over this. It does dramatize it a whole lot. But it, I mean, it, it is kind of a dramatic story, but Angelina Jolie puts her little spin on it. Of course, it. yeah. But what is crazy about all of this is there was a serial killer at the time in Wineville, California, who was snatching boys off the street and killing them. So that's where the connection to the Wineville chicken coop murders comes in. So this woman went through this horrific event. She, you know, lost her son, this poor woman. And then it comes out that he might have been a victim of the serial killer. So there was a boy, uh, this is 1926. His name is Gordon Orscott. He's a Canadian kid. He go. he has like a, a chicken coop. Okay. Okay. This is his business. This is his family business. Is the chicken coop. Is the chicken coop. So they raise chickens. It's a lucrative operation. He's kind of young to be running a farm by himself. He runs it for his mom. They live, you know, Wineville, California. He has his 13-year-old nephew, Sanford, come from Can- uh, Canada. <laughs> from Canada. And, uh... <laughs> As we call it here in the United yes, States. Canada. <laughs> He comes from Canada to kind of, like, spend the summer with his uncle, Gordon. Well, what winds up happening is his uncle sexually assaults him, beats him, and kind of ropes him into this serial murder spree that he goes on. This 19-year-old guy was basically just taking boys off the street, assaulting them, killing them, and chopping them up, and burying them in his chicken farm. So... The niece comes to visit and sees that her brother is under a lot of distress. She's like, why are you so upset? He was like malnourished. She was being beaten. So he's black and blue. And he's like, can you get me out of here? Our uncle is fucking off his rocker. Like he's just diddling boys and burying them. Like is basically what was happening. Did he ever give a reason? I mean, was there like a specific reason he was burying back by the chicken coop? I'm not really sure there. I mean, most of them were buried there, but there was one that was strewn off of a road. Okay. I feel like maybe because he thought it was his property that he could be like, no one's going to come on my property. I own this land. You can't just come up in here, like, and I figure that's why he buried them there. Part of me kind of wondered with, with like, specifically the chicken coop, if mm-hmm. there was, like, oh, this would benefit my chicken <laughs> growing, but that'd be... <laughs> Wonderful composted yeah, earth from children yeah. bones. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> um, that hurts the gardener inside <laughs> So the niece, Jessie, goes back to Canada, talks to her mother, and is like, we need to get Sanford out of there. He is, like, there's some real shit going down. So they, the police come and visit the farm, and they realize 
Um, they're like, this isn't, something's not right. So they take the kid into custody, protective custody, and they talk to him and they, he, he's like, he made me kill people. I've watched him murder people. We picked up people off the side of the road and we, he, uh, physically, uh, like, assaulted them and then we killed them and buried them. Oh my god, that is fucked up. So, <laughs> the cops are like, shit. They go to the, they go to where the kid said there were bodies buried. They start digging. And they're just digging up body parts. Not even whole people. Not There's no heads. It's all just arms, legs, hands, just in these not even very deep graves. They were relatively shallow graves. Um, so they, they pick up all these these body parts and they're just like, what the fuck? Like, what are all of these? So he starts to tell them the series of events of what was happening and... Um, it's pretty fucked up. So basically, he... Let's start with the very first victim he had, because there was a couple. Oh, um, there was a set of twins, Lewis and Nelson Winslow. They were 12 years old. Um, they were abducted from Panoma, California, on their way home from a yacht club meeting. Like, these cute little kids, like, building boats. They were <laughs> abducted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he... Kept them in the, this is what he would kind of do. He would keep them in the chicken coop, um, locked them up, didn't feed them, didn't give them water. He would go out there, take one out, assault him, put the other guy back. Maybe the next day he would go out, assault the other kid. And he would go back and forth, you know, doing this, beating them, assaulting them, until he got tired of them. And that's when he would bring out his nephew to help to kill them. So he kind of, what he would do would he was put his nephew in there with him and be like, oh, it's okay if you play along, it'll be fine. Oh my god. That is and then he would take them, he would take them out one at a time, kill them, and he would have his nephew help chop them up and bury them. He never knew what happened to the heads. It was, I mean, it wasn't even whole bodies. They didn't even have whole bodies that were found. So it was terrible. Um, they also found out that Walter Collins, the missing kid that Christine Collins was screaming about, my child's missing, this isn't my child. Well, Sanford said, that sounds exactly like the kid we abducted. He was walking home. It was like, it was Lincoln Heights, Los Angeles. So it's even further. He's going to these faraway places and just taking these kids. Um, the police, I mean, they originally thought that the kid was abducted by, like, enemies of his father because he went to jail and he was involved with a lot of stuff. But Sanford is just like, it sounds like the kid that we abducted. And it found, like, it came to pass that, yes, it was. Um, he admitted to it. The nephew colluded. He's like, yep, that's it. That's the guy. So this poor woman, you know, she loses her son. Another imposter kid comes up and says it's him. She finds out it's not him. She was committed to an institution. And then she finally finds out that her son was abducted, sexually assaulted, chopped up into little bits, and buried in the back of a chicken coop. How would, yeah, how would you not end up totally... I mean, how would you not lose your... Yeah, you'd lose your shit. So this, I mean... That is crazy. The nephew, I imagine, is just fucked up for the rest of his life. He was abused. He was, you know, coerced into helping kill these other children that are the same age as him that look very similar to him. The only one that didn't was there was this part of the story is kind of really sad. There was an just a Mexican migrant farmer boy who was also taken his they didn't know who he was. They couldn't contact his family. So it was just in the papers 
unnamed headless Mexican migrant boy murdered. That was the other one that he confessed to. Now, they suspect that he could have killed up to 20 boys because of the amount of body parts and the fact that they weren't really all matching. And what strikes me so just, it's just so odd. This this guy was just, he had a normal life. He lived with his mom. He, he had this farm. There was nothing in his past that would have said, oh, you know, he wasn't abused. He, you know, wasn't beaten. Just Nothing. one day decided to start. Yeah. But the other part of that is that his mother was fully aware that he was doing this and did nothing. She also went to jail. Well, that's good. <laughs> they were both, they, they both went to jail. He was, he was hung and he only admitted to um, committing the four crimes but he recanted on the um, the Walter Collins. Really? Right before he died, he was like, actually, you know what? I didn't kill him. It's just another, yeah, just another gut-wrenching knife twist asshole. to that poor fucking woman who was yeah. like, oh, I finally have relieved my son. You know, I know, you know, I know what happened to him. She didn't even have a, his body because there was just like arms and legs. At that point, I feel like if even if he was, that was his last, you know, as he's dying, as that mother, I would still probably think, I would still probably believe that that guy killed my kid. For sure, 110%. So the fact that his nephew said, you know, it looks like that kid and I'm pretty sure that's who we killed, I would believe that kid before I would believe him. Yeah. I mean, he's just doing this because he's sick and twisted. Um, So I 100% believe that he did kill him. I And I believe he killed more kids. And he probably did, because what he did was he supposedly ran out of time when he was killing the Mexican migrant farmer boy. He chopped his head off, so he had plenty of time to do that. And then he just wound up dumping his body in a ditch. He never buried it with the others. He admitted to doing it, and they they just closed that case. They're like, all right. Yeah. They didn't try to contact any family or whatever. I, I mean, this is in the 20s. They didn't right. give a shit definitely a lot about those people. <laughs> I mean, even even now, like, if you come into the U.S. as an undocumented worker or something like that, it's mm-hmm. a lot harder to track you back to where you came from to notify anybody because there's no paper trail. I mean, that was, that was just, like, the saddest part of the story for me is just, like, that person's family will never know what happened to him. He came to this country to, like, work to help and support his family. He's 12 years old. They right. guessed he was between 10 and 12 years old. And you lose your life so to some sad. sicko who was yeah. just didn't have time to kill you and chop you up. It's fucking disgusting. It's fucked up. Yeah. But this marred the town so much that they changed the name. To? I don't remember what they changed it to. It was something very, like... Whiskeyville. No. It was something very, like, Spanish and hard to pronounce. <laughs> just like Margaritaville. That was, a, that was a port. Just like a <laughs> Jerupa or some Miraloma Jerupa. I feel I like you could only... Miraloma. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, I feel like you could only call it some other kind of... In 1930, they officially changed the name to Miraloma. And they took down as much as they could of any remnants of the name Wineville because the in the, all the papers it was the Wineville chicken coop murders instead of just you know they could have just said chicken coop murders they didn't really have to use Wineville but yeah I mean Ew. at least you know he was convicted and he was sentenced to death and he was hung because if you can imagine you know if they didn't have enough say they didn't have enough evidence and that guy went right. free in that, during that time period you could have Changed your name, changed your whole identity, oh, yeah. moved somewhere else. Completely disappeared. 
disappear off the map, done the same thing in a different place, and no one would have even known the wiser. Yeah. That's the fucked up part about it. Especially, I think, with little kids at that time. I mean, they didn't... That was one of those time periods that it was like, yeah, Johnny, go up to the store that's like five miles away from town in the middle of the night. And those kids had jobs, and they had things they were doing stuff by themselves. It's just like, here's a sack lunch, I'll see you at dusk, whenever that is, because who has a watch? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, so that's the uh, Lineville Chicken Coop Murders. Ugh. Yay! <laughs> it makes me think twice about raising chickens. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm, you can only raise just chickens gonna forever. You bodies in your chicken coop I mean, yard. Yeah. And gardening, you <laughs> use bone meal, so yeah. <laughs> I've never Where do they get those bones from is what I want to no know. <laughs> Children, that's what they get. Oh. The next one we're going to talk about is called The Dentist. Oh my god, this movie's so great. So, I was, as I, I had never heard of this movie. It's and such as, a 90s movie. Yeah. Everything about it is 90s. Yeah, it's very, um, it's like really low budget. Oh and yeah. And it's, I'll say it is very loosely, loosely, loosely based mm-hmm. on the murder that we're going to be talking about as well. Um, but it, yeah, it's very low budget. The effects are horrible. The acting, it's like overacting. It's, it's like a lifetime movie with right? a little extra cash. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at lifetime, if lifetime showed like horrible, <laughs> awful horror movies. Um, so the movie came out in 1996. It was directed by Brian Usna and it starred Corbin Burnson, who was in LA law. I didn't really get into that show, but sure. Um, and Linda Hoffman, who was also in Face Off with uh, Nick, Nick Cage, Cage, right? And John Travolta. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's another one I still have not seen. Um, this one, take it early. I mean, if you love Nick Cage, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this one has a zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So if that says anything about how awesome this movie is, you should definitely run out and buy it. Yes. Not really, though. Yes. <laughs> I did try to... This is another one I did try to find to watch before we recorded, but yeah. again, could not. It was nearly impossible out The to first time I ever there. saw it, it was on TV, late night HBO, and that's when I watched it. Yeah. And I was like... Down in the basement, like, don't let my mom catch you watching this, because this is horrible. <laughs> it definitely is one of those movies that would be on, like, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning oh, yeah. on TV somewhere. It's terrible. It's yeah. so terrible, but I just loved it so much. <laughs> so let me give you the little syn- synopsis. So Dr. Finestone has everything, a beautiful <laughs> wife and a successful career in dentistry, but... When he discovers his wife in an affair, he realizes that behind every clean white surface lies the stench of decay. Having gone insane, he enacts cruel dental torture on his patients. Which, I mean, going to the dentist is torture enough. (laughs) And I am one of those people that already has, like, dental anxieties. Like, honestly, going to the dentist is my least favorite thing. Not that it's anybody's favorite yeah. thing, but it's just, I don't like, like it. Good tooth cleaning now. Right. Yeah. No. And I feel like if I would have seen this movie at that, because in 96, I would have 
been six years old. So had I seen this movie at that time, I would never go to a dentist because at that, I mean, I just would have been fucking terrified. Fuck that. Yeah. So thank God. The drilling parts are like, um, it's that, just that noise, that quintessential drill noise. And they do like the camera to the mouth thing. And I'm just like, first of all, mouths are disgusting. I don't want to see a close up of that. And then you got the drill noise in the background. You're like, fuck this. Why am I watching this? Yeah. And That's what you say the whole time you're watching this movie. Ugh. Why am I watching this? And that just makes my, my skin crawl. Mm-hmm. Um, so the only, about the only um, thing that I could find in this movie that was accurate was that he was a dentist that like killed his patients. <laughs> well, not even killed his patients, but yeah. killed, <laughs> killed people in general. That's where the similarities really end. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was very... Very, very, very loosely based on um, this guy by the name of Glennon Engelman. Um, I am just going to put out there that while I was researching this, I found a lot of conflicting information. So I tried to piece it together the best that I could Mm -hmm. and get the most accurate stuff. But he was one of four children. Um, and he graduated in dentistry at Washington University in St. Louis in 1954. Um, he was admitted into the college under the GI Bill, and he previously served in the U.S. Army Air Corps. So didn't really find any information about what, if he had been in battle or anything like that. Um, he was married twice, first to Edna Ruth and then to Ruth Jolly, so it sounds like he had a thing for Ruth's, Ruth's <laughs> says. Um, and he had a son with Ruth Jolly, who was named... What a name. That sounds like a stripper name. Ruth Jolly. Hey, I'm Ruth Jolly. <laughs> yeah. <Maybe> Jolly. <laughs> um, they had a son named David Engelman. So he was a dentist who moonlighted as a hitman. Which is the only way to survive being a dentist. <laughs> and I, it's, I just think it's hilarious because it's like the first thing you think of when you think of a hitman is a dentist. That, right? right? It, I, it works. I just assume that all hitmen just are Just think dentists. of every dentist you've ever seen. They're all it hitmen. Works. <laughs> yeah. Um, he carried out several murders for profit, um, over approximately a 30-year basis. It was about 1955 to 1980. Um, he was a sociopath. And as he stated, quote, his talent was to kill without remorse. And he enjoyed planning and carrying out killings and disposing of the remains in order that it would net him financial rewards. So basically, he liked the idea of getting away with a crime, slipping through the cop's fingers, specifically doing killings that would get him something in return. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, it was money. Oh, yeah. Like thousands and thousands of dollars. <laughs> um, although he committed all of the murders himself, he had help from some accomplices. A couple of them were close friends, and they actually also included two wives of two of the men that he killed. So I'm just going to run through kind of <laughs> his hit list. Hey. Yeah, well, yeah, the hit list. <laughs> Um, from what I found, there were five to seven victims. 
Um, I know five confirmed that he was actually convicted for, but they estimate anywhere above that to anywhere from seven to maybe 11. I mean, they really don't know how many victims there were, but um, he, in 1958, he was suspe- suspected of the death of James Bullock, who was 27. Um, he was a clerk and was shot near the St. Louis Art Museum. Um, this guy, James Bullock, was married to Engelman's ex-wife, Edna mm. Ruth. <laughs> um, and upon the death of James Bullock, she collected $64,000. Oh, convenient. <laughs> right. In 1963, he, Engelman was suspected in the murder of Eric Frey, who was a business associate of Engelman at Pacific, uh, Pacific Drag Strip, in which Frey and Engelman were partners. Um, Engelman struck him with a rock, pushed him down a well, and used dynamite to blow him up afterwards. Wow. <laughs> Right, so that it was is like, thorough. struck him with a rock, not totally dead, pushed him down a well, and just to make sure, we're going to blow it up. wells just laying around. I mean, in the <laughs> 60s. Uh, I have seen a well once in my life. I don't honestly know where wells would be at. I don't think I've, I've seen blame. a couple of them, but not around here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, after that... Um, he divided the insurance money collected by Frey's wife, or, well, Frey's widow, was split with Engelman after the murder. The next victim was in 1976. His name was Peter J. Halm, and he was shot in Pacific, Missouri. His wife, Halm's wife, Carmen Miranda Halm, was a former dental assistant trainee who had worked for Engelman and had known him since childhood. She actually ordered the hit on her husband um, to collect another life insurance policy of $60,000. Just trapping like flies, these men. (laughs) And um, obviously split some of that money with Engelman. So it seems to me through all of these, he does kind of have have a pattern of like, I'm going to off somebody collect the insurance money and split it with whoever ordered the hit. Um, we'll say in 1977, this, so I'm going to tell you about this. And then there's something that actually hits kind of close to home. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, so in 1977, Arthur and Vernita Goosewell were killed at their farmhouse near Edwardsville, Illinois, which is very, very, very Southern Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arthur was shot and Vernita was bashed to death. Huh. Um, and then Engelman murdered their son Ronald in East St. Louis 17 months later. So that. Taking out the whole family. Right. <laughs> so they had a. Well, it was Arthur and Vernita's daughter in law, um, Ronald's wife, Barbara. Uh, let me see if I can find her last name. I don't remember where I put it. Okay. All right. So Barbara Goosewell Boyle, she kept her last name. Beautiful name. Met um, Engelman, and their grand plan was to have her marry Ronald Goosewell and be married to him for a while, essentially off his parents, so he would inherit. They had a lot of farmland. I saw somewhere, too, that they were um, big in the oil industry. So basically, they had a lot of money and assets so that he would inherit that and then 
kill him so she would inherit all of his assets from this whole thing. So (laughs) That's not suspicious sounding whatsoever. (laughs) So Barbara Voyle married Ronald Goosewell in 1976, uh, a year before her father-in-law, Arthur Goosewell, who was 61 at the time, and his wife, Renita Goosewell, who was 55 at the time, were shot slash bashed to death in their home. And then, like I said, in March uh, 1979, Ronald Goosewell was shot and his head was bludgeoned with a sledgehammer. Before his body was found, four days later, in a car at an East St. Louis motel, uh, police were probing the case as a missing persons case initially, and they went to the Goosewell home, Barbara and Ronald's home, and found Barbara Boyle hosing out the garage. And just needs a thorough cleaning. Right. <laughs> uh, forensic testing later went into the garage and later showed, quote, undetectable blood everywhere. Everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere in the garage. Um, And the claim was that Engelman ambushed uh, Ronald Goosewell in the garage after Barbara Boyle greeted him when he came home. At the time, they expected to insure about a $500,000 inheritance. Oh, wow. So worth it. <laughs> right. Um, this was one of the murders that he was that uh, he was convicted of, and uh, Barbara Goosewell Boyle was also convicted in assisting the murder of her husband, essentially ordering a hit on her. She was sentenced to fifty years in prison and was released from the Dwight Correctional Facility on October tenth, two thousand and nine. So she's no longer in prison. Mm-hmm. Fun fact about this particular one. Well, two fun facts. The first is that on her appeal that eventually got her out of prison, she was represented by Effley Bailey. For those of you who don't know who Effley Bailey is, he also represented Sam Shepard, Patty Hearst, O.J. Simpson, and Albert Salvo, who claimed to be the Boston Strangler. Mm -hmm. So he has a lot of high-profile cases with a lot of people who... Are criminals. Yeah. I mean, let's just face it. Straight up murderers. (laughs) He's really good at getting people off. Mm -hmm. Um, So I happen to find that. The other thing is, uh, as I was looking at this, I'm thinking, my my mom actually grew up down near Edwardsville Mm -hmm. in a really small town named Prairie Town. And it is one of those towns. That sounds like a great place to live. (laughs) Right. And it's, I mean, it's one of those towns that has... 300 to 400 people in it. I mean, it's very, very, very small. So I asked her about this because you kind of know everybody. Oh, yeah. Um, and in 1977, when this would have happened, I think she was actually at, away at college, is what she had said. But Goosewell was a German name that was very popular down there. It sounds like there was a lot of Goosewells in that area, but she said she didn't remember this happening. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I was kind of hoping to have, oh, yeah, I remember when that happened. This woman <laughs> was a legend. But she didn't remember it happening. So I thought, well, take a chance and, you know, mm-hmm. we'll see. Um, so the last victim was Sophie Marie Barrera. In 1980, she was the owner of South St. Louis Dental Laboratory. Engelman killed her in... Editor. Yes. Well, kind of. She was killed in a car bomb explosion, so he put a car bomb on her car and she exploded. Um, But this one was 
not, it was kind of the same, but in this case, Engelman actually owed her $14,000. And he was accused by her son of the murder. So he did, uh, ultimately he was sentenced to five life terms plus 60 years. He was convicted of two of the murders. So that's five of the life sentences. And then while he was in prison, he pled guilty to three of the other murders. So that's five confirmed. Um, there's at least seven victims that they think he killed, but again, they, they don't really know. There's a lot of conf- uh, conflicting information out there and he definitely took it to his grave how many, um, he had actually killed. So he died in prison at the age of 71 in 1999. And that's kind of the last that we hear from him. So that is the story <laughs> of dentist going hitman. I did find this actually this really awesome little, it's like, um, a chart that he has all of his life events. So his life events, (laughs) when he uh, killed who and how, we will definitely put the link for this, I think, on the Facebook if you want to use that to kind of follow along. I know it it was a little, you know, (laughs) listy. Yeah. Um, But that that might help you follow along. We'll make sure to put the link for that up on the Facebook. But I think that has been our episode for this week. (laughs) Uh, we are very excited you guys are able to join us. I do want to say a special thanks to Tiff Weech, who is helping us out with our sound today. Thank you, Tiff. (laughs) Um, if you would like to contact us, we are on Facebook at the Bad Taste Crime Cast. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and like us on Facebook and leave a comment if there's something that you would like us to talk about or, you know, Mm -hmm. you have any suggestions, anything like that, let us know. Where else can they find us? Um, we're also on Twitter at BT Crimecast. And if you wanted to email us a story or, you know, have a comment or some suggestions, you can also email us at the bad taste crimecast at gmail.com. Alright. Well, thank you for joining us on the Bad Taste Crimecast. I am Vicky. And I am Janelle. And we will talk to you next time. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> In Los Angeles, a killer the police are calling the Hillside Strangler has murdered 10 young women and left their bodies on the hillsides along the highway. It was as if a wave of evil washed over this town. We are all people in some form.